Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. We are well and truly into the summer now, even though the football season is still chugging along. It's Champions League final this weekend, of course. Manchester City against Inter. I don't hold out a great deal of hope for our Italian friends, it has to be said. City have a star-studded squad with all kinds of quality and Inter. Well, they have... Mickey. So who knows? Football is a weird game. And there have been some, I guess you could say, weird goings on. Well, not really that weird in the grand scheme of things. Lots of money sloshing around the game. Big name stars going to Saudi Arabia or not going to Saudi Arabia, as the case might be. There's also been a European final, a game which saw Declan Rice make his final appearance for West Ham. And that comes straight from the horse's mouth. Well, the the West Ham chairman's mouth anyway. He says that he's going to go. And there are a few other bits and bobs doing the rounds on the rumor mill that might have implications for for what happens at Arsenal this season when it comes to rebuilding our midfield, incomings, outgoings, and all the rest of it. I'm going to just crack on with today's show, and we're going to discuss all those bits and bobs. My guest today, great to welcome back, Phil Costa. Hi, Phil. Hello, Andrew. How's it going? It's going all right. It's going all right. I'm trying to wade my way through all the, you know, the updates that aren't updated. Those kinds mm-hmm. of things that we're uh, dealing with at this part of the uh, of the summer, where Arsenal's intentions are this, but of course nothing has happened, and the media and the media landscape we live in, being what it is, the demand for constant updates uh, exists, even though there are no updates. So. I'm trying to get fresh air as much as possible. That's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a as a as a writer, I'm quite jealous of how you know they must have synonyms as their kind of bookmark because the amount of ways they can phrase that Arsenal were interested in Declan Rice has been quite incredible. Um, Fesserus.com is is getting all the hits from from Fabrizio and the boys. Oh, I mean, he he's on. I mean, some of the aggregators as well. I mean, it's quite incredible the work rate. I've you know, I could. There's one. There's one part of me that thinks like you know, touch some grass, lads. You know, um, but there's also another part that admires the the work rate. And I, I've got a little conspiracy here that they're all in on a little group chat. Uh, or a DM or, you know, because within minutes, bang, bang, bang. There's like, they're all three of them there with the same text translations. They're on it, mate. They're on it. Um, so yeah, good, good luck to them. Cause it's the 8th of June. So <laughs> there's a long way, there's a long way to go. There's a long way in the summer to go. No, that's true. And like, yeah, it is just part and parcel of how, how it works now, whether you like it, dislike it or anything else, that is kind of how it works. Whatever else you might say about Twitter. And there are lots of things that I uh, could say, and I'm not going to, it is still the place where news breaks, uh, mm-hmm. even when there's no news 
the breaking news is there is no breaking news, but at least we know where it's breaking as and when it does happen. So yeah, look, these guys are are following all the rumors and all the press outlets around the world where you know you get the uh, you get the story about a guy um, you know from a particular country and you source it from that local press and you translate it and then it becomes part and parcel of 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 how things work in in the football uh, media landscape. I don't know. I, you know, I like you, I need to touch some grass. So, you know, more power to these guys who, you know, they've got youth and energy on their sides. I think, you know, they're not as old and embittered as I am at this point. So, um, I wanted to start by talking about the Europa Conference League final West Ham beat Fiorentina 2-1. And there are a couple of uh, aspects to this, I suppose, that we could look at. One is a, a successful European campaign for an English club, which puts West Ham in the Europa League uh, next season. So, you know, a huge achievement for them. Over on Patreon, we do a podcast called The 30, uh, which reviews the Premier League weekends in 30 minutes, more or less, always more. Uh, <laughs> always more. And one of the topics of conversation this season was West Ham and the sort of underperformance of their season based on the strength of their squad. And to be fair, you you said throughout, you thought they would be they would be all right when it came to the relegation battle. I think they, they dragged themselves away from it a bit earlier than some of the other teams. But did you envisage this for them, like a, a big European trophy? And, and how do you view the... You know, I think there's an element, sometimes people think about the Europa Conference League. And look, let who amongst us who hasn't made a joke about the Europa Conference League, you know, uh, and all the rest. But when you're in a final, when you're a club that hasn't won a trophy for a long time, it doesn't matter really what the what the stature of that, that particular competition is. You desperately want to win that final. No, totally. I mean, look, this is a club um, with a big history, a very committed fan base, um, you know, a big stature within, in, in English football. Um, and I think for us, through the lens of, of Arsenal, this, this tournament may, you know, it's not even enough to, um, to pique any of our interest in, in the slightest way. But I think for West Ham, they've had a a mixed few years there. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. And I think this season they were down, right? We've spoken about it before. Mm. Um, managed to to kind of just about escape with with four or five weeks to go. Um, and then all of a sudden you, you think, oh God, we're in a, you know, there's a real chance for a European trophy here. So I think, look, we know that the standard is, is not great. I think, you know, I was looking through the teams before, you know, Fiorentina, obviously they're in the final. There were Anderlecht, um, Villarreal, Nice, but, you know, maybe Azad Alkmaar as well. But beyond that, it was a very low quality tournament, I would say. Um, but once you get there, once the kind of the feeling, the unity is, among the, is amongst the fans, it's been a long time since they, they've done anything in Europe, to be honest. I mean, they've, they've flirted with coming close a couple of times. Um, in the Europa League and things like that. Mm. Um, but to cap off a, a mixed season, I would say a disappointing season, this was the perfect way to do it. And, you know, I don't really have uh, strong opinions on West Ham, but some of the celebrations made me, you know, realise why we do this. Sure. I mean, you know, and I think that's always a nice reminder. Yeah. I mean, are we maybe sometimes guilty of 
I mean, I don't know if we're guilty of it, but we can only, as Arsenal fans, look at football through the prism of our own experiences, right? And our mm-hmm. own standards and expectations. And this is a club that, you know, while not always, always successful, has had huge success in the past. You know, we've done the double more than once. We've gone unbeaten throughout a season. You know, we've won Premier League titles. We've won FA Cups. And with that comes a, a measure of expectation, right? And I know what you're saying about the standard of the Europa Conference League. And I remember actually, was it the yeah the season, the second season we finished eighth, I was kind of like, you know, I think I would rather finish eighth and outside of Europe than be in the Europa Conference League. And that maybe sounds a little privileged if I want to put it that way. But this competition allows a club like West Ham or allows a club like Fiorentina, who I know have uh, had their successes, but other clubs in Europe experience the joy of winning a final. And I think there's something quite interesting about the idea that, that David Moyes as a manager, like the vast majority of football fans don't have the expectations that we might have as Arsenal fans. We want to challenge for the Premier League. We want to do good in the Champions League. Do good, do well in the Champions League. All these kinds of things. This is what feeds us, right? But if you're a mid-table team, whether you're in the Premier League, whether you're in League One, League Two, whatever it is, your your version of success is very different, right? Like your version of success uh, if you're a fan of another club, might just be escaping relegation in the Premier League. That is a brilliant season for you. And David Moyes, as a manager, has managed hundreds of games, maybe into the thousands. I don't quite know at this point. He did win a Community Shield with Manchester United, but you've got to be a bit Jose Mourinho to count winning the Community Shield as a big trophy. And all of a sudden, here he is. He's got, after a long career, you know... A minor, major trophy, if that makes sense. And I think there's something quite nice about the idea that competitions that perhaps we might look down on a little bit are hugely valuable to to other clubs and other fans. Yeah, I agree with that because we we do see football through a, a different prism and that is sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. But I have to say I did... I did enjoy some of the the kind of the fan cams that were coming out. I did enjoy the post-match scenes with them all on the pitch. And especially in the changing room, I have to say that clip of David Moyes, I mean, that was pure drunk dad at a wedding energy. I mean, dancing to <laughs> the proclaimers <laughs> as well, you know, it's just... but And that little scene of him and his dad on the touchline, you know... He's had a long career, a difficult career. You know, I, I know he did well at Everton, but he he had the, the difficult time at United as well. West Ham hasn't always been an easy place to be for him. I mean, he was one weekend away from being replaced by Slaven Bilic this season. So it just shows you how quickly things can turn and how, how fine the margins are. But, you know, things like that just really put things into, into perspective. Um and I, I liked that it was West Ham. I think they've deserved it. They're a big historic club in English football. Um, and and it, 
you know, was the perfect way for a certain captain to potentially say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I'm not having the BT Sport commentator uh, using it's up for grabs now, though, as Jared Bohm went through. Mm. Dude, come on. You got to invent your own lines there. What what next? Like, <laughs> some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Come on. Uh, but that's a, you know, a, a minor complaint. You mentioned a certain captain, and of course, um, Declan Rice is first and foremost on the uh, the minds of of every Arsenal fan. David Sullivan, the West Ham chairman, said uh, on TalkSport, basically confirming he's going. We promised him he could go. He set his heart on going. You can't ask for someone who's been more committed to us. Uh, it's not something we wanted to happen. We offered him £200,000 a week 18 months ago. He turned it down. It cost him £10 million to stay at West Ham in that time. He wants to go. He can't keep a player who doesn't want to be there. I think the offers will start to come today. Uh, what do you reckon? Edu's finger on the fax machine at 9.59 last night, whatever it was, as soon as Bowen scored and the seven or eight or nine minutes of injury time was up, bang, send fax to uh, to West Ham. Um, it is one of those where you expect Arsenal to to move quickly because basically West Ham are saying, let's do this, let's get it done now in, in uh, not record time, but as quickly as possible. Yeah, Edu in the midst of his of his grilling, uh, various meats, I'm sure. I mean, it's for me, it's been a strange one, this transfer, because even though I know that there's a lot of other teams interested and the big ones as well, you know, I think it's important to know that this is the the level of talent that we're competing for now. I think Arsenal have recruited extremely well in the last two years to really raise the the floor of this squad. But now we have to raise the ceiling, you know, and I think by bringing in these kind of players, a la Declan Rice, that can help us to, to sort of maintain this level and also reach the next one. But when the pool is smaller uh, and more teams are circling, it's very difficult. But I've always had a feeling that, that we've had an edge here. Just, I remember coming back, I think it was in mid-January, um, and usually I go home, back home to London for three or four weeks at Christmas to see family, spend some time back at home. And I just landed in Berlin. Um, and it was the classic, everyone's been briefed about something. Arsenal are going big for Declan Rice in the summer. You know, everyone came out with the, the Athletic, the Telegraph, um, you know, Daily Mail. They were all on it with similar lines, 92 million fee, that kind of very specific thing that you think mm, someone's been someone's been speaking here um, and sometimes you can question those intentions um, whether they're uh, for better or for worse but I, I don't know I've just had a feeling that that Arsenal have done their work you know and I think I've looked around and I've seen the other teams their trajectories who they've already got in their squad um, the location uh, of where they are as well, which is, which is very important. And I just think Arsenal have had an edge. Um, and again, this morning, the noises have been Arsenal leading the race. Arsenal feel confident. And I think they were waiting for yesterday out of respect to both the player and the club, which is completely fair in my book. I think that's the right way to do it. Mm. Um, but I would expect things to ramp up now. I think today, tomorrow, early next week, we'll be hearing a lot um, and I think there was a story that he was staying away from the England camp to attend the wedding of Pablo Fornals, his teammate. 
uh, and I think we'll be on the phone, I'll say, <laughs> um, which is um, a light way of saying it, but I've, I think he's the, the kind of the perfect player. And even seeing him speak yesterday, even seeing how he carried himself in the post-match celebrations, I thought, this is an Arteta guy. This is an Arsenal guy. Um, and I think now if we if we were uh, not to sign him, I'd be very disappointed. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that Arsenal have put a lot of work into this, a lot of groundwork going back, um, you know, some time. And you know, I think what's really fascinating about this for me is that like 18 months ago, if you were to say that, that this was a realistic transfer for Arsenal, I would have said no way because he's going to have his choice of big clubs and um, and big offers from elsewhere. And we're in there and we're competing for a guy, you know, as West Ham captain, mainstay in the England team, all the rest of it. I think it, it speaks to our trajectory and, and probably his trajectory as well. You mentioned the England camp. I think this is going to be very interesting to see because there is a game, England... This is a, another talking point, maybe, but like players stopping and starting, taking time off, going back for international duty, stopping again, going back then for preseason, all the rest of it, whether that, that has a physical effect on, on any of the players, we'll have to wait and see. But England are playing Malta in a Euro European Championship qualifier next Friday and then playing North Macedonia on Monday. So you would imagine that... Arsenal would be keen to get something done before that England camp uh, assembles. I know it's not quite the same thing as, well, where he's at the World Cup and he'll decide his future after the World Cup. You know, England mm-hmm. um, will probably turn over Malta and North Macedonia pretty easily, I would have thought. Um, and I'm not sure that you need to be quite as focused as you would be for a big tournament. But I think Arsenal will be keen to get something done as, as soon as possible in that regard. Because, you know, we've seen it happen um, today as we're talking on Thursday. Liverpool have, have signed uh, or announced the signing of Alexis McAllister from, from Brighton. You know, getting something done nice and early sets the uh, foundation for your transfer business during the summer. Yeah, totally. And I think... What's also important and quite relevant to Arsenal is the future of, of Granit Xhaka. Um, you know, I think this deal is kind of um, related, I would say, because mm. I, I, Arsenal don't really want to um, let him go without having a, a proper replacement or a planned replacement in place. And I think this is kind of a domino effect where if Arsenal can get it done reasonably quickly, I know in a deal like this, when the fees are big, um, there'll be personal terms that need to be agreed, although I'm a little bit um, sceptical if, if they haven't been agreed already. There'll be agents' fees. There'll be other little bits and pieces to sort out. But I think having done the majority of the groundwork, I'd imagine all that's left is to agree that number with West Ham. Mm. Um, and if they can do that, you know, maybe in a, in a post-trophy glow as well. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we can... We can get a favourable number, but I, I never, I never saw that one hundred and twenty million pound fee as realistic. You know, I think there was a lot of posturing from West Ham, you know, especially with his contract situation. But ultimately, you've just admitted through your through your chairman that the player wants to leave. Um, so I think that that number, the ninety two million, whether it's a little bit more in add-ons, 
is more than reasonable, having just seen Jude Bellingham go for a similar amount. Yeah, I was going to say know. that. Yeah, he's he's going to Real Madrid. Uh, you know, brilliant move for him, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. 103 million euros is that deal. Now, I know he's a little bit younger and you've got the Premier League tax and all the rest of it. But, you know, something similar for for Declan Rice would be about right, I think. Yeah, I think so. And look, let's be honest, if you can go to the England camp after the after the wedding, have a chat with our, our friend Bukayo or or Mr. Ramsdale or whoever else is there from the Arsenal contingent. I think it, it just makes sense. This has made sense to me for a long time. I've been a fan of the player um, and I've been really impressed this season, I have to say. I mean, I've been keeping a closer eye um, on him and his performances and on West Ham's performances. But I think in a season where they've needed somebody, you know, to really step up and be counted, mm. it was him. It was, it really was him a lot of the time. And I, I remember some performances, you know, um, one against Newcastle in particular, another one against Manchester United, just boss the middle, just really, really boss the middle. And I think we can really um, take him with a good chunk of experience and you know we can see that he's a talented player but at 24 is the time for him to kick on and I think we've got the right environment the right manager um, and the right trajectory for him to to achieve that potential with us okay well look fingers crossed that that, that something happens there there is of course a lot of speculation about midfield I, I do think even though it's very early in the summer what could happen at Arsenal in midfield both in terms of outgoings and incomings, is is really interesting. Um, we know that the club tried to sign Moises Caicedo in January. There's been a lot of discussion and debate about whether Arsenal could do both Rice and Caicedo in one window. Is it compatible? How do you fit them into your team? Does it secure the future of your midfield for years to come? Do you maybe need to prioritize other areas, though? Do you, are there other things that you need to do in the transfer market that might preclude you spending that kind of money? But there have been a couple of um, couple of rumors about players departing that if we take as read, I know you can never mm -hmm. say never with Granite Xhaka. It looks like he's gone, but then he does the boomerang thing and he comes back again, so you can never say never. But if we, at this moment in time, assume that Granite Xhaka is going to join Bayer Leverkusen, there's mm -hmm. a story in the Belgian press about Albert Sambi Lukonga uh, being of interest to Burnley, and we know why, because Vincent Company was manager of Anderlecht, and we bought uh, Sambi from Anderlecht, and he knows him very well. Did he say he was going to be the new Yaya Toure? Something Yaya like Toure. That. Yeah, I think he's got a way to go yet. I'm not saying it can't happen, but this, um, yeah, he's got, he's got a bit to do to achieve that. Um, so we know the two of them know each other very well. Burnley have just been promoted. They'll have some money available. They'll be looking to bolster their squad. You can't really see a future for Lakonga at Arsenal right now. So that one makes quite a lot of sense, doesn't it? That this is a good mm -hmm. way to get proper minutes into him because he didn't really play at Palace once Patrick Vieira went. He's, I think he had something like 70, 70 minutes of the last 900 he was available for. That's how little he played there. So he didn't really get the playing time he wanted. 
He didn't develop, maybe. He didn't develop as a player the way we might have wanted. And is certainly his, his, his reputation, his transfer value, you know, nothing positive happened in that regard. So if Burnley were interested in him as a loan with an option or an obligation, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, agreed. And I think Burnley have done an incredible job under, under company really to kind of reinvent themselves because it's not easy to do that. Um, but they've really taken an intelligent stance on recruitment. Um, you know, they bought a lot of players from from Belgium, the Netherlands, you know, more obscure European leagues, and they and they basically um, exploded in the championship. I mean, they breezed it last year. Um, and I think the fact that they're back in the Premier League under a manager who is, I'd say, slightly more open to playing football. Uh, where they haven't always been in the past. I think that suits Sambi. Um, I feel a little bit sorry for him because I think, look, th- this was a player coveted by a, a lot of clubs. He had a big reputation. He was playing well in Belgium. He was on the on the fringes of the of the national team squad. Um, and at the moment of of our interest being announced, and when we signed him, I was happy because mm. for me this was a, an example of Arsenal you know, showing a bit of thinking outside the box, you know, where we hadn't always seen it in, in years gone by. And I was happy with the signing, but look, it's normal that he struggled to adapt. I think he lacks a general intensity to his game, which which falls a bit short in English football. Um, and I think there were circumstances both in his control and out of his control that that led to him being a bit of a lightning rod, I would say. Um, I don't think... We we really helped him too much in the first team when we asked him to replicate the role of Thomas Partey. Um, but also there were another few examples of him being given opportunities and not taking them, you mm. know, and combine that with a couple of interviews um, where maybe you don't put your best foot forward. I still think that that little window we got into all or nothing was a bit outplayed um, or overplayed or exaggerated, you know, when Eddie's telling him, you know, like we all want to play, mate. Where's your smile gone? Um, that kind of scene when they're mm. when they're in there having breakfast and he's all grouchy and you know. But there is talent there, and look, I think the ship has sailed for him at Arsenal. But we're in a strong position with his contract. I think Burnley playing under Vincent Company presents him with a really good opportunity to to not only play regularly, but play under someone that trusts him. Um, yeah. And I think this makes a, a lot of sense for for all parties, really. Yeah, he's got a contract till 2026. So, you know, even if Burnley have an option, uh, you know, you could build in a, a, an option with clauses. Uh, if he plays regularly, comes back, you've still got two years left on his contract and a player who is potentially much more valuable in the transfer market than than he is right now. The other interesting one this week, and again, it's speculative, but this talk of Jorginho going to Lazio, Um and I, you know, I'm framing it in this context because it comes back to Caicedo that, like, if we have a summer where Arsenal allow Xhaka to go, Lukonga to go, and Jorginho to go, Declan Rice cannot be it. He cannot be it. Mohamed Elneny, we know, is there, but that can't be it, you know, when it comes to your your incoming business. So I'm trying to look at potential ramifications of outgoings to see what might happen with incomings. And again, the the Jorginho to to Lazio one is 
you know, it's, it's, uh, you can take it with a, a pinch of salt as you can with most rumors as there's talk of him wanting a three or four year deal from them, which would be very nice, of course, given his age. Uh, but it's also one that would make a bit of sense to go back to Italy and all the rest of it. Um, how do you view that one and the potential that Arsenal, you know, paid money to Chelsea to bring in a player like Jorginho, only to move him on in the in the very short term in the summer? I mean, he always felt like a, a stopgap uh, signing. This would be very stoppy gappy, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I hope he didn't put down a, a, a significant deposit on a house. Um, I mean, it, it makes sense, to be honest. Um, I, it came out of nowhere today, really. I think it was um from a from a newspaper or an outlet based in in you know mm. within Lazio circles I would say um but he we know that he's got a strong connection with Maurizio Sarri because he was a big part of of that Napoli side that that went on to break all those records um he was also brought to Chelsea um under Sarri and it would make sense again right and I think mm. Italian football is a more uh, suitable place for his physical shortcomings, <laughs> maybe, I would say, um, where he can, you know, let's say he wants a four-year contract, he can play there for another three or four years because, you know, legs aren't so important in that league. Um, so, look, it makes sense. And I think, like you said, the one-and-a-half-year deal that he signed on with an option for an, an extra year, I think, is what it was, mm. doesn't really hint... Um, to a long-term future at the club. But I also know that Arteta likes him a lot. You know, we know that Arteta rates him very highly for for what he brings on the pitch, but also what he's brought off the pitch. And, and I know that in the dressing room, he's very highly thought of as well. Um, but it's no secret that Arsenal have wanted to uh, freshen up their midfield for a long time now. And I think we were very fortunate to not stumble upon Granit Xhaka, but I think find a nice role for him where he was you know uh coming back with a with a strong motivation adapting his game playing really well i think thomas party for large spells of last season was very good in that position um which is very demanding physically and mentally even though he did fall off towards towards the end a bit but i think it's no no secret and no surprise that arsenal have been looking at rice and caicedo very strongly um what what convinces me a little bit that we have still a role to play in this Caicedo race is that I'm expecting Arsenal to raise some money this summer, you know? Um, mm. And it's something we haven't done for a long time. I mean, last year was was a shambles, uh, frankly, to, to to sell players. I think Genduzi, Torreira, Leno and, and Mavropanos were 15 million combined. Or 16 million combined or somewhere around that it, yeah it um, wasn't a lot of money yeah that's for sure yeah even the year before the, the the only sale that we made was joe willock to newcastle um i think that was 25 you know the season before that um emmy martinez you know these are not big sales for a club of this stature before that alex uobi i don't think we've made more than 50 million pounds since since that january transfer window where we sold um, I think it was Walcott, Giroud, um, was, I, I think, was Chamberlain January or was he in the summer? No, I think he was a, he was a summer, wasn't he? He was a summer. summer. Yeah, because he he played that game at Anfield, yes, remember? Yeah, 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 Anfield, it was a yeah. fucking shambles. Yeah. Um, but I think that combination of that summer and 
that January window, I think with Chesney as well, was the only time we've made more than 50 million pounds, mm. you know? But I look at the squad now and I think there's money to be made here, which again is is credit to Arteta and the team for, for how they're changing their, um, their reputation. You know, people mm. want our players now, which is good, even if they're not quite right for Arsenal for various reasons. I can look at players like Eddie Nketiah. I can look at players like Foller and Balogun. I can look at Charlie Patino. I can look at even Emil Smith-Rowe, even though they've come out and kind of dispelled those rumours a bit. Um, there's potential for money money to be made there. You know, even even Granit Xhaka, I know some people have had issues with the fee, but 13 million, 14 million, 15 million for him, it goes straight into the into the kitty for for another player. So I think there's potential for us to really make money here. Kieran Tierney, Rob Holding, you know. Mm. Talk of Nothing 30. huge. Yeah, 30, Arsenal looking for 30 million plus for Kieran Tierney. Does that seem right to you? Do you think, I know I had this discussion last week a bit as well, but mm. like given the, the potential destination, like, how do you find the balance between trying to squeeze as much as you can out of Newcastle and, and not sending them in a different direction? It's a difficult one. Uh, I would be extremely happy with 35. Extremely happy. I know it's easy to look at Newcastle and say, look, they've got basically unlimited funds. Why don't we just slap them with X price tag and say, look at Kukureya and Chilwell and all these people, but we have to realise that Newcastle are not Chelsea. Um, and I think they've shown a willingness to be a little bit savvy in the transfer market as well, which is annoying. Um, but I think considering his standing within the squad, his injury record, um, and maybe a willingness to... Look, I think his desire to move closer to home also puts us in a in a slightly weaker position because it, it leaves maybe two clubs, um, and Newcastle are effectively perfect because they're, you know, on, basically on the border mm. um, to Scotland. So I think those combi- that combination of factors, I'd be really happy with thirty five, and I think it's probably about fair um, mm. for his market value at the moment. Um, I know you maybe. Uh, and others think otherwise. But. No, no, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sort of coming around to that a little bit as well. And, and mm-hmm. your, your point about Newcastle being savvy is is a good one. They have a, a very smart sporting director or technical director in, in Dan Ashworth, who, you know, isn't Todd Bowley. Which stands him in, stands him in good stead, I think, when it comes to when it comes to uh, doing deals for Premier League players in that, or you know, any player in that, he knows what he's doing, uh, which is probably a bit annoying. But we'll we'll wait and see. I think you're right, though. You know those those outgoings plus the investment that we're going to make, plus the fact that we do have Champions League football uh, added to. You know the the way the midfield landscape is shifting. Anyway, it will be very mm-hmm. interesting to see, you know, what exactly happens in in terms of Rice and Caicedo or both or whoever else it might be. They might surprise us with a name that we're not a hundred percent aware of as yet, which they have done a couple of times. You know, when you think about some mm-hmm. of the transfers that have come in, um, not quite out of the blue, but certainly you know things have been announced, and it's like, oh, we didn't really hear about that before. So let's see, let's see what they've got up their sleeves. Um, let's talk about Lionel Messi 
because I think this is a really interesting development. The smart money was on him going to Saudi Arabia because, well, mm -hmm. he's an ambassador for Saudi Arabia. He signed up to be uh, an ambassador for Saudi Arabian tourism in, in 2022 and, you know, hashtag visit Saudi Arabia and all that kind of stuff. And they paid him, you know, whatever enormous amount of money uh, that they paid him. Um, this week has seen some very interesting developments in sport, not just football, obviously, um, what happened in the world of golf was kind of eye-catching given the uh, the situation that was there between the uh, PGA Tour and the Live Tour and all the rest of it. But uh, there was a very good piece by, by James Bench on CBS Sports on the website. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I'll read a little bit here. Uh, Messi has decided, obviously, to go to Inter-Miami. Um and he said in this piece, James says, one source described the suggestion that the player had made the decision to go to Miami because his family did not want to live in Riyadh as a major red line that has been crossed by a paid ambassador uh, of the country. And Messi himself spoke, I think, uh, and said... Um, if it had been a matter of uh, matter of money, I would have gone to Saudi Arabia or elsewhere. Uh, the truth is, uh, my decision was for the other side and not for money. I'm in a moment where I want to get out of uh, focus a bit, think more about my family. I spent two years at a family level that was so bad, I did not enjoy it. So there you go. Ringing endorsement of life at Paris Saint-Germain, uh, which I think has been a, a horrible move for, for Lionel Messi and for the club as well. Uh, were you surprised that, given all those ingredients, he ended up uh, choosing to go to MLS rather than this sort of newly revamped Saudi Arabian League? Honestly, no. Um, because I think the Inter-Miami noises have been there for a long time. Mm. Um, I even remember an article that, that David Ordstein wrote in the article from... I think in the athletics, sorry, that was from October last year that said, you know, there were only a few more details to, to iron out between him and, and into Miami. I think there's even talk of um, them signing Sergio Busquets um, in kind of a quote unquote package deal. Here's a buddy. Um, who, Here's a friend. <laughs> yeah. He's, who's conveniently left Barcelona this summer, you know, doesn't mm. take a genius to put two and two together. And, you know, that, the quote you just read out, I think was interesting because he said, you know, it's not for the money. Um, but I think he's on basically the largest ever MLS contract. And he's basically been promised um, a share of the profits from all Jersey sales, a share of the profits from a documentary that he's going to record with Apple TV. Yeah, this and is even another... When, yeah. Even when he retires, there's going to be potential uh, acquisition or shares uh, of into Miami themselves, you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I got to say thanks to um, Sam Radford who pointed me in the direction of, a, of an article about how Apple have got the rights to MLS. So... Mm -hmm. In some way, they're funding Messi's arrival in MLS because that will drive subscriptions. And I know we all understand, you know, the need to sell subscriptions and drive eyeballs and all the buzzwords that you have. It is a bit mad, though, when you think about it, that this is Apple 
funding the arrival of Lionel Messi in MLS, seeing off the threat, if you want to call it that, or in inverted commas, threat of Messi going to Saudi Arabia, where he was already an ambassador, as we said. But this this sort of media landscape, this media drive to to... I guess, exploit football or exploit sport to uh, as far a degree as possible is, if, you know, I, I I find it a little hard or distasteful sometimes because it is uh, so driven by money, but that's the reality of, of sport and broadcasting and all that. Um, but it is quite a, a, a mad thing to say. Like if you had said 10 years ago, yeah, Lionel Messi is going to play in America and the deal will be partly done by Apple because on their streaming, you'd just be like, what are you talking yeah. about? You know, what the fuck? And this is where we are now. And, it, you know, there was even talk of, you know, that there would be a, a kind of get together between all the MLS, all the MLS clubs and their franchises to to kind of contribute as well themselves um, to try and get Messi in the, into the league. And it's just, you know, it, it's it's quite incredible. I mean, I think being in the US, in Miami, brings him a lot of opportunities um, for image rights, uh, you know, sponsorships, things like that. And also it's a Spanish-speaking area, you know. And I think in... Mm. Messi doesn't strike me as the guy who's going to try to learn English. I mean, he, I, did he even do any interviews in French or at least try to get any French? I, it would surprise no, me if he... If, yeah, so he's he's going to be more comfortable there with his family. I think Ronaldo, for example, is much more flexible and adaptable when, when uh, playing in different uh, countries and leagues. Um, it's an incredible move, an incredible get for MLS. Um, and it's a huge blow for Saudi Arabia and, and their plans because, you know, they were kind of counting on him. And I, I found there, there, there were a few interesting nuggets in, in the pieces that you mentioned, both by um, James Benj and another one you, you linked in your blog today from, from Miguel Delaney about how sure they were mm. that Messi was going to end up. Uh, coming that they'd even sorted like uh, transportation via helicopter um, to take him from Paris to um, to Riyadh. And then there were other bonuses being spoken about for his father. I think 25 million euros that was supposed to go straight to his father. I mean, I don't think the numbers being banned, uh, you know, being banded and reported have sunk in yet. Mm. I think it's it's being reported, you know, Ronaldo's on 200 million euros per year and Gundogan's going to get 100 million euros. Benzema's on 200 million. Just put that into into context for a second here. It's mental. Mm -hmm. It's mental. And I can't imagine they'll be taxed too strongly, if at all. Yeah, I mean, 200 million is what Benzema is on uh, over a two-year contract, isn't it? You know? I think it's I think it's per annum, or is it two hundred million per annum? I mean that yeah yeah it's, yeah it's, it's obscene on any level. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it, you can understand why it's very difficult to turn down. Yeah, as yeah, a footballer, of right? Yeah, yeah. You just come and play, and you know we want to raise the level of this league, and you can be part of it. I mean the the uh, the piece that Miguel wrote, you know where. What what they've done, the Saudi Public Investment Fund, is that they have invested in four clubs 
in order to create a top four because they've looked around and said, you need a top four to make your league interesting and competitive. How exactly that happens or how you do that without scrutiny when one entity owns four of the clubs, you know, mm-hmm. you, you you leave yourself open to questions of, of um, what's the word here, fairness or, or interference and all those Conflict kinds of, of interest. Conflicts of interest, yeah. exactly. You know, but this was the idea that Ronaldo would go to one club, Messi would go to another club, Benzema would go to another club. Mm-hmm. But it is, it, it's fascinating to read what Miguel wrote, where he said the initial idea is that this league becomes the natural home for stars in their mid-30s looking for a last payday because there's an obvious space there. Chinese Super League is now gone, and we know the money that they were throwing around in, in the past. And he said U.S. Major League Soccer is too constrained by regulation. Um, they talk about the, the crowds that you can get at these Saudi games. And it says from there, the age of foreign stars will gradually be brought down as the quality of the homegrown players goes up. And there uh, then goes on to say there's a belief that while the competition can't ever get to Premier League levels, the money involved can bring it to a point where there are more high-profile prime stars than in either Liga or Serie A, maybe even La Liga, who knows, that this is a very, very concerted push to create something here that's really difficult for footballers to turn down. And, And why would you? You know, for someone like Engolo Kante, who's had an incredible career in English football, he's won the Premier League um, twice. You know, he's won the Champions League. Mm. Uh, he's what I, th- yeah, I mean, he's from from the second division of France. He came, you know, and he, he's basically won everything possible. In the last year, last 18 months, he's struggled with injuries, with inconsistency. He's slowly seen Chelsea move beyond him. And when you're being offered 100 million euros per annum, or let's say over the course of a two-year deal, why why would you turn that down? That's that's that is generational wealth for your family um, for for playing two years of football. Mm. You know, and it, it becomes very difficult when when you're throwing those kind of sums around. I mean, look, there's been comparisons to what China did and the Chinese Super League. I think it was seven or eight years ago. And the big one was Oscar from Chelsea. Mm. You know, nobody expected him to go straight there from Chelsea. There was links with a lot of European clubs, Real Madrid, Juventus. And his salary per annum was 23 and a half million euros. And we were considering that to be like, what? You know, this is, yeah. you know, ruining the game. This, this isn't sustainable, you know. And later on, we found out that it wasn't. But now we're we're learning that Messi was offered four hundred million euros. You know, it's just these figures are to my brain they don't work. They don't work. Yeah. Um, and scare, the scary thing is because of what you said, the acquisitions of those four clubs, um, the essential or the effective bottomless pit of money that they're operating from, they do feel more sustainable. As a, as a sporting project, whereas yeah. whereas the Chinese Super League did feel more like a flash in the pan, is that is that is that the word? Yeah, I'm maybe. Not sure. It didn't feel. But I can. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I can see this. Maybe not in the next 10, 15 years, because I think mentalities also have to change uh, within generations. But you can see a future here. 
um, and they have to start somewhere. I mean, the thing is, if you're like, I'm not saying you, you look clearly when they're going for Messi, when they're going for Ronaldo, when they're going for Benzema, they're going for guys you know, who are high, high profile, who've been there, done that, won it all, and they are mm -hmm. major, major, major stars. Um, I do wonder if, you know, over the course of the next number of years, if this league continues, whether or not, you know, they're going to have to set their sights a little bit lower because, you know, there's only so many stars out there. And as a footballer, if you're considering it a career, you know, many people will say, look, I want to play at the highest level until – you know, I, I, I get to the point where I cannot, but there might be people who say, right, I want to get to the highest level. And from there, who knows what kind of a move I could make um, to the Saudi league to sort of bolster that league at a younger age to increase its reputation. And I can earn X, Y, and Z because, you know, there are people out there who view football very seriously as, as just a job. This is a job that they do and they're in it to earn money like everybody else. Um, and it will be fascinating to see what kind of an impact it has on the game. There was a really interesting bit in Rory McIlroy, the golfer. He did a press conference on Wednesday, um, brief cliff notes for people who've got no interest in golf, but there was uh, the Live Tour was set up by the Saudi Public Investment Fund as a direct replacement for, or as a d direct rival rather, for the PGA Tour. They lured away big-name golfers, star golfers with the promise of huge amounts of money. And this week, after huge opposition from the PGA Tour, it was announced that the Saudi Public Investment Fund is going to invest in the PGA Tour. It's all going to come together, and everyone's going, what the fuck is happening here? This is bullshit. Last year, you said this, you know, this you were going to fight this, and now all of a sudden, everyone's coming together. And McElroy was talking about it. I think this is really interesting. Even if you're not interested in golf, he was asked about how he feels about it. Here's what he said. I've come to terms with it. Um, I see what's happened in other sports. I see what's happened in other businesses. And honestly, I've just resigned myself to the fact that this is, you know, this is what's going to happen. Like this is, it's, it's very hard to keep up with people that have more money than anyone else. And that is the reality of, the world we live in, whether it's golf, whether it's football, sport, business, all of it, mm -hmm. this is what it's coming down to. And I think everybody will have their own personal line in the sand over something like this and, and whether they view you know, golf or football differently because of all these investments. But there's no escaping it, is there? I mean, you can say this is wrong, this is sports washing, and that's the first time we've used that phrase in this particular conversation because I don't want necessarily to focus on that more than the, the reality of what is actually happening, whether you call it sports washing or investment or, or development or whatever else, this is how it's going to be. And this is what we are going to have to either live with or decide not to live with as fans of, of football or whatever sport we're into. It's a, it's a really difficult moral kind of question, isn't it? For, for us as, as supporters, as lovers of this game, because, you know, we can see what's happening. Um, and whether it's your club or another club, how do you separate your deep kind of love and passion for your club 
for what's happening behind the scenes. You know, can you separate that? Mm. Can you, is it even possible to, to do that? And then you kind of live with this internal struggle or battle about where the sport's going. You know, we've already kind of batted off the Super League, but then UEFA just went and changed the World Cup um, group stage process and the Champions League groups, uh, group stage process with FIFA, you know? And it was yeah. just like, you know, we fight off one thing and then another, another thing just comes and changes anyway. So there's only so much that we can do um, as the, the little people. You know, which I think what is perfectly um, summed up in that clip from from Rory McIlroy. I mean, ultimately, I think the most interesting thing is here that we're referencing this this project as as Saudi or Saudi Arabia. It's it's a state. It's a country. It's not clubs. It's not individual clubs. It's Ronaldo's going to move to Saudi Arabia. It's Messi's going to move to Saudi Arabia. It's not to the pro league. That is who is kind of backing this. And I think ultimately they want to change the reputation and level of their league, which in essence is fine. Um, they can throw money at whoever they want. And, and ultimately what comes with that is a change in uh, reputation of, of their country, you know? And I think that is the kind of the lingering thing that I'm struggling with um, because through sport, as you mentioned, these things can accelerate mm. um, how people view you and, and various, various other things. So, so it, it's a very difficult position to be in as a sports lover, as a football lover, you're always kind of battling these, these morals and these, and these thoughts of, of how do I view the game and how does the game view me? Um, and I think this is just the latest example of us having to adapt to to the bigger people, mm. with big money coming in to try and change things. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, you talk about, you know, in inverted commas, the little people. Rory McIlroy is not a little people when it comes to the game of golf. There's, there's you know, there aren't many people bigger than him. And he's basically saying, mm -hmm. well this is it like what you know what what can you do but you know whether it's saudi arabia or whether it's fifa or whether it's uefa or whether it's a corporation or whether it's a billionaire somewhere you know we, we get pulled from pillar to post i did love the the story this week about how fifa basically lied about the world cup in qatar being carbon neutral they were taken to task over stuff like that but what happens nothing happens the world cup continues no, no. it all goes on and uh you know here we are just sitting about it to egypt's talking into microphones and hopefully <laughs> hopefully look if, if if they're gonna do it do it right and and take nicolas pepe you know that's all i'm asking fair enough um 60 million 70 million know, for nicolas pepe i could uh look, he, I could we can it. even give them a, a discount 50 and he's yours all right you okay know? someone put out the feelers there edo you're listening <laughs> okay we will see what happens look i, I do think it is uh, you know for all the the uncomfortable aspects of it is it's also fascinating to see what way it might go and what way it might develop and and how um how it might impact the wider game and the game of course you know in england which is its own thing you know by far and away the richest league in the world you know people in glass houses and all the rest of it so look we'll see what happens we better leave it there though phil thanks a million as always we'll talk to you soon Thank you. And yeah, speak soon. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa at underscore Phil Costa. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Right, I'm going to leave it there for today. Hope you've enjoyed this particular episode. We will try and do a few different bits and bobs during the summer with the uh, the regular Arscast. James and I will be here on Monday, uh, on Mondays, I should say, usually with the Arscast Extra, which is very much its own thing. But while there's not a great deal happening in terms of actual concrete news, we might try and dig up a few interesting interviews here and there just to keep things chugging along. Hopefully, too, of course, there will be some actual Arsenal news rather than just updates on our intentions to make news at some point in the not-too-distant future. As and when those things happen, we will, of course, cover them here on the podcast. For now, have a great weekend. I'm not sure if I'm going to watch the Champions League final. I just don't know if I can be arsed to watch Manchester City win something again. Uh, I've had enough of that. So I might just give the whole thing a swerve while just keeping a little bit of an eye on things. And if it looks like Inter are going to win, I might switch on. So we'll see what happens. Join us on Monday for an Arscast Extra. Until then, folks, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. Some breaking news here. Arsenal are interested in signing Declan Rice from West Ham. The Gunners are looking to strengthen their midfield this summer and see the 24-year-old as the ideal candidate. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and breaking news here. Arsenal remain interested in signing Declan Rice from West Ham. Sources tell us that Mikel Arteta's side are preparing a bid for the England international and a deal could be completed in the near future. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and we have some breaking news here. Declan Rice remains Arsenal's priority for the summer transfer window. With Granit Xhaka set to depart for Bayer Leverkusen, the Gunners are looking to strengthen their midfield area and they are readying a swoop for the West Ham captain who it is believed is open to moving to North London.
Welcome back to Declan Rice News. Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice. Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Declan Rice, Rice, Declan Rice. Declan Rice, Declan Rice.